you can do so many things from an organic side and you can do a lot of those same things from a paid side. It's just going to take a lot of time and a lot of money to figure it out. So you can use social media as literally like a testing playground where you can create any product or service is going to have a plethora of different market segments, different positions along the buying journey that people are at, different symptoms that they're experiencing that may want them to draw to purchase that product or service. They might be in different geographical locations. They might be different genders, different ages. So you can parse out a ton of different, what we would refer to as avatars, but just think of different market segments. There is so many of them. So you can create hundreds of different posts that are contextually different, put them out organically on social media, and it's just a testing playground. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. All right. So the impetus of this particular topic was, of course, we do ads, but so often we see our clients either like their ad success is boosted or (laughs) hindered by social media posting and strategy or lack thereof. Sometimes clients, they expect ads to do all of the lift. And while you'd know more than me, I'd love to see ads to all the lift. That's a big budget. (laughs) Most clients don't have that big of a budget to rely only on ads to do this massive lift. What have you seen? I would say anecdotally, my observations have been that clients that have a very strong organic social media presence typically see stronger results. They're getting more engagement from their community. They're getting comments on their posts. And when they run ads, even just by the nature of it, people inside their community are commenting positively. There's a more positive sentiment around what they're doing compared to people that are just running solely paid advertising. And I agree. A lot of people kind of shy away from doing organic social media because it does take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And it's not always something you can do yourself. You might need a designer or a video editor or a copywriter. And you get very small businesses where they can do it all themselves. But as you get into larger corporations, seven, eight, nine figure businesses, it's not the owner that's creating all of the content. (laughs) It's usually a team and a combination of people. But the trouble that a lot of those corporations fall into is there isn't necessarily a direct ROI on those efforts. So they start to lean more so towards paid advertising because they can attach a return on it. So they know I can invest this much money into it. I'm getting this much in return. Even though social is, if done right, is likely contributing more to their sales effort than they think. Of course, that depends on the business. Different businesses, what that looks like or means is completely different. A hundred percent. So you mentioned community and the community being a big driver. Do you think the learnings that come from doing enough organic social, getting it wrong, seeing what works, contributes to better ads? That could be a lot of it. Or I guess, I guess I'm wanting to parse out like, how much do you think it's the community, which I think is and the audience, which I think is a big deal. And how much do you think it is the learnings that come from doing organic social? I don't think you can quantify the importance of it. You can do so many things from an organic side and you can do 
a lot of those same things from a paid side. It's just going to take a lot of time and a lot of money to figure it out. So you can use social media as literally like a testing playground where you can create any product or service is going to have a plethora of different market segments, different positions along the buying journey that people are at, different symptoms that they're experiencing that may want them to draw to purchase that product or service. They might be in different geographical locations. They might be different genders, different ages. So you can parse out a ton of different, what we would refer to as avatars, but just think of different market segments. There is so many of them. So you can create hundreds of different posts that are contextually different, put them out organically on social media, and it's just a testing playground. You can watch the trends that are derived from those. What is the data telling you? And instead of fighting the algorithm where a lot of, from an organic standpoint, we think of our reach is getting throttled and my shadow band, there's no engagement, but we can start to leverage the algorithm and watch where content starts to get over-indexed. Watch the content that starts to get more reach. The algorithm's pushing it out to more people. It's getting more comments. It's getting more likes. It's getting more shares. What platforms are that happening on? What market segments of those posts is that happening with? And then you take all of those insights, not only do you start to use that to fuel your organic social media, but you pull that directly into the paid side of your business. If I have a post that is doing phenomenally well, I'm likely going to start to put money behind it. But more than that, I'm going to start to derive insights from that much deeper than just turning it into a paid advertisement. That might lead me into, hey, I need to create a lot more content around this. I need to double down and create more around this specific niche. I might need to start creating more advertising materials, a lead magnet. I might need to use that data to create an actual product because the community, the algorithm, the data is telling me that this is what people want. It removes us from being these dictators of we know best, this is my avatar, this is who we serve, and it's putting the content out there into the public, and it's letting the public vote on what they want to see, what they're resonating with, what they like, and then going, okay, this is the feedback we're getting. Let's use that as a growth driver for our business. So with that lens, no, I mean, it's amazing. It just popped out of your brain. <laughs> with that lens in mind, whether or not, and I think the answer is always, it does contribute to revenue. But even if you can't directly contribute that to revenue right away, just all of that learning and that data and that foundation, I think would be worth it for any business, whatever you're selling. Do you think, what a question, I have different directions I want to go. I mean, I find that when I'm consulting clients they're too limited in what they think they should put on social. You know, the salesperson, I do a lot of service businesses and here at Sir 11 Lawyers, and they think, well, I have to do a direct sales. I have to pitch, hey, we're the best law firm in this state, and that's it. And that's all they think that they can do. Of course, law firms are actually restricted, but I see this in every business where they're like, well, we have to just pitch, and I can only do this so many ways. It's like, well, yes, <laughs> there's so many other things you could talk about. Do you want to explore some of those ideas? Yeah. And like there's direct response marketing has been around for eons. So there's so much data behind this. And we know that historically speaking, one to 3% of the market is going to be ready to purchase, be in a state ready to buy at any given point in time. 
And that's where most people are taking their paid advertising. They're putting out stuff, buy my stuff, I need to get clients, I need to generate sales. And that's what their marketing message is from a paid advertising standpoint and very frank from an organic social media standpoint as well. But that's missing out on the other 97% of people. The whole buyer's journey. (laughs) Exactly. All the awareness levels, all of that, you know, psychographic decision-making consideration. Exactly. And the fact is that we are in a much different marketplace than when direct response advertising first came out. Although even then, like if you read Edward Bernays' uh, book on propaganda, he talks about how all those direct response advertisers, what we would now call direct response, would work with him to inject early ideas into like movies. Like the Steinway is a great example. Before they started advertising, they'd put them in every movie, every glamorous movie. You know, there's a couple with Marilyn Monroe. I don't remember which one it was. There's a Steinway in the middle. Like, why? Nobody wanted one until they were in the movies. And then by the time the ads came out, they were warmed up. So I would push back that even back then, there were mechanisms for doing some of the warming up awareness, desire type content. I think they were doing it even then, I guess is my point. And it was, and that was more generally done by like the madman type advertising agencies. And that was branding. And then there was the direct response advertisers where they were trying to go and get a sale. But we live in a day where there is more options to the consumer than there has ever been. There is more marketing messages. So we have to work harder to get people to purchase from us. So it's not just about going out to that person and saying, buy my thing. They have more options than ever. They have more social media platforms. There's more things and people influencing their decisions. You can type into chat GPT. Just their McDonald's, Burger King are going at back and forth right now going because McDonald's typed into ChatGPT and went something along the lines of, I could find the advertisement, who has the best burger? And ChatGPT said McDonald's. So they printed an ad that listed ChatGPT's response. And then Burger King came out and they typed in, but which one's the biggest? And its response was Burger King. Why does ChatGPT say McDonald's when you ask it a query? Because they had the biggest brand. So these are types of things where it's not necessarily quantifiable, but they have the biggest no like trust factor in the market. And that directly contributes into a paid advertising strategy. You take somebody like Rihanna. Why is she worth $1.5 billion? Why was she able to create Fenty into a $700 million business? Because she had a brand associated with her. So as we start to think of We need to take that 97% and bring those people to become the 1% to 3%. So we need to have, exactly, we need to start to present marketing messages for people all along their customer journey. They can be at all different stages. So we need to educate people. We need to overcome their problems. We need to speak to the symptoms that they're experiencing. We need to present them and show them the potential solutions, all without necessarily trying to sell them something. And then when they're ready to make a decision, they're in a decision-making phase, then we can start to educate them on why they might want to purchase from us. Right. And it's just more content. I believe that if we're providing content at every stage, some people will jump right from, I have a desire to, I'm ready to look at options and buy in under an hour. Like for some products in e-commerce, it is under an hour 
For others, it might take years. You look at a service, someone might be following a high ticket information marketer coach for years before they finally pull the lever and say, yes, I'm ready. People will buy when they're ready. So I don't think it's necessarily, some people will hear what you said and think, well, I need to withhold selling at all, withhold talking about what I do at all until some time. I think, I think that that's the wrong approach. I think you always have the option, make it easy for them to buy, but you have to address those other things. You have to address where they're at in their frame of mind, whether that's considering options or sitting in their pain or wanting something better or not thinking about you at all. Yeah. A lot of people get caught up on when they say deliver value through content because a lot of people associate value with being provided a solution. Value is open to interpretation of the person receiving it, not determined by the person providing it. A simple insight, a metaphor, changing someone's perspective on something can be highly valuable. And something as simple as that is valuable in educational content. It's not always saying, here's exactly what you need to do to get to the end goal. And that's rarely what people want because we're a Google search, a YouTube search away from being able to find all of those solutions. And that's not usually what people are looking for. More often- We're the information age. We want experience. They want a movement they can subscribe to. They want a community. I mean, yeah, people want their problems solved, but to your point, we could solve them very easily. (laughs) And then you have a new problem. Yeah. And something that I've witnessed with even customers, but even the business that my wife runs is I feel like with this rise in competition, this rise in information, the buyer's journey is expanding. People aren't necessarily making decisions as quick. And this could be a very big assumption, but it's just kind of observations where what maybe used to happen in three to four months is maybe now happening in six. So with my wife's business, we started to find a lot of people were in her world for six months before they purchased. And there's a marketer by the name of Dean Jackson, who he cites a statistic of 85% of your customers will purchase after 90 days. And so something I like to tell people is if you knew that people were going to need to be in your world for 90 days before they were going to purchase from you, how would you adjust your advertising? Yeah. Like, would you continue to put out the same message or would you start to go, how can I attract people and get noticed and found? How can I nurture these people, build rapport, build a relationship, build intimacy, maybe get them following me, maybe get them onto my email list. And then when they're ready to purchase, I have those messages out there for when they're ready for it. But I also have all of these other things out there, attracting those people, nurturing those people so that when they're ready, they're seeing that message from me. Yep, exactly. I agree with you 100%. I've seen it over and over again where like the ads help you stay top of mind but it's all that nurturing you did before that laid the groundwork. You really have to almost indoctrinate people into your worldview, into seeing their problem and the solutions the way you do, starting to use your words. And then by the time they're evaluating solutions, they'll still evaluate competitors, but with your words and your worldview in their head. And hopefully they'll end up going, yeah, still not as good as this other thing that I've been watching. And many will just say, hey, I'm ready. I have the money. I have the budget. It's the right time. I'm going to go, they've been dreaming about buying your stuff. They'll buy your stuff. I see clients who give up far too quickly because they aren't thinking about the runway, haven't built that marketing. And we've seen even within the same industry, law is a great example where personal injury lawyers, the bigger their brand and the more organic stuff and advertising and just general brand building they've done, the better their advertising performs. 
with the same type of ads, same type of creative, same type of site graphics, maybe not similar budget. Obviously, the bigger budgets tend to have done a lot of branding, but... Yeah, like you get people like Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk. Doesn't matter what they do. Know who they are. Like, (laughs) you know, Gary Vaynerchuk could come up with a shoe, the Gary Vaynerchuk shoe, and it's going to sell. He's got his wines, they sell. He came out with V Friends, they did millions of dollars. He came out with VCon. It doesn't matter what they touch because they have built such a strong brand. They've done that work. Tony Robbins is a great example because you'll see Tony do like a five day challenge. I don't love five challenges at all. I don't, I personally don't think they work as well as people think they do. Tony will put one out. He gets tons of subscribers. It makes lots of money. And people who follow Tony will try challenges too. (laughs) And it bombs. And you can tell them it bombs. They're like, but Tony does. And it's like, but you're not Tony. People don't want to do challenges. Do something else. Exactly. They're not doing the challenge because they want to do the challenge. They're doing the challenge because Tony Robbins is doing a challenge or the offer associated with the challenge is doing really well. But it's tricky because when you just start with branding, that might not be the best way to start initially if you have to make payroll. So in reality, you might need to sequence these things to balance out how it's going to work for your individual business. So it might be worth running paid advertising and knowing that you can spend X at this threshold and you're going to make a profit. But in order to scale you may not be able to maintain that at large degrees of scale. A lot of businesses are a lot more niche than they think they are. There is not 10 million physiotherapists that have a specific type of business model in the US. So a lot of businesses are less scalable than they think. They're a lot more niche. So you might be able to see great results at a lower degree of scale and make some money. But in order to start to now expand and scale and spend more, it's likely going to take some of these organic efforts. And you can derive so many of those insights from organic social media. Running organic social media, pulling a lot of that stuff into your paid advertising, amplifying those things. So if this post is resonating and you typically get 100 views, all of a sudden you get one that gets 25,000 or 100,000 views on TikTok. Well, likely that resonated with the audience for a very specific reason. It might be who it was speaking to. It might be the location it was. It might be a hot trending topic. But now you can go, okay, maybe I should put some money behind this. You might have some conversion ads, but now you have this branding ads where it doesn't have a commercial goal associated with it. It might simply just be to get in front of people, get people to know who you are and get people engaging with you. And now they're inside of your sphere of influence. They might start following you, engaging with your other content. They've engaged with this. The algorithms are likely going to push a little bit more content their way to see if they enjoy that as well. Now they might be in your retargeting audiences for your conversion ads, but then you can start to amplify that over the course of the next three months, six months, five years. Now you have more pieces of content out there that are generating attention, indoctrinating people, things that are attacking different points of those journeys. But you can test those things with paid if you want, put $1,000 or $5,000 behind this piece of content and see how it does, and then try another one. Or you could do it for free, just with your organic social media channels, use the insights you're getting from the algorithm, and then start to use that insights into your paid advertising. Yep, exactly. Amazing. What would you consider organic social media? Obviously, social posts, videos across the platforms, shorts, 
Yeah, I would classify organic social media as any piece of content across any social platform. So it's going to be text, it's going to be an image, it's going to be audio for podcasts, it's going to be videos across TikTok, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, depending on your business. And then YouTube is still a search engine, so it's still search-based, but there's small social aspects coming out from YouTube, but I would still likely not classify YouTube as social because it's not as designed for commenting and engagement, although they have the community tab. They have the community tab where you can now start to post images and text posts on the community tab on YouTube. And when you go to YouTube, you can scroll now and you can see text posts and images just like you're scrolling your Facebook feed. So they're starting to pull a lot of social elements in there as well. Be interesting to see where that goes. I mean, when I've worked with clients, they're also often thinking that they have to just create new. I find so many clients think, well, I always have to have something new. And so if I need to post five days a week, that means, and this is like all businesses. And for some, it may be true, but for some, definitely not like coaches, right? I have to post something new every day and it's got to be completely unique and I can't repurpose. And why? <laughs> why make it hard for yourself? Go ahead and repurpose, redistribute, schedule it again, reach it and post it. Like you don't have to create fresh. I don't think. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you can squeeze a lot more out of your social media content than people traditionally think that they can. Every piece of content that you create doesn't stand alone. Very simply, you can take one piece of content and you can post it across five platforms. It's going to perform different because people interact differently on LinkedIn than they do on TikTok. They engage with different types of content. So that same piece of content can get posted across all five channels and get different responses. But from a video, you can pull out quotes. From a video, you can do a full length video. You can chop it up into shorts and segments at different lengths, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, three minutes. And those can also capture different messages. You can do create carousels and quotes based on good segments that are getting pulled out. You can transcribe long form videos into blog posts. You can expand upon a short and create a longer form video from it. It just takes a little bit of creativity. Even just in taking it and generating more pieces of content, there are so many more ways that people can create ideas for organic content than they think. The same thing, like if we're talking about, let's say, weight loss. Weight loss for a mom is a lot different than for a husband. It's a lot different from youth. Even for a mom, it's a lot different from that mom if she just had a baby versus that mom she is preparing for her wedding, just all of these different life events, circumstances, the demographics, we can slice and dice that type of content to be put out there in so many different ways. And every single one of those, it's teaching the exact same thing. Right. Let's say what to eat for breakfast. What to eat for breakfast might be very different if you have no time. You're a college student with absolutely no time versus if you're a mom versus if you're a working professional versus what your goals are, what type of diet you have. Exactly. Or even for that college student, what to eat for breakfast when you're cramming for exams, what to eat for breakfast when you're making zero money and you're living in a shoebox. Like that's when we're talking about these contextual segments. You can spin that an endless amount of ways and it's going to resonate with a different person on the other end of it. Sometimes people like go completely out of the blue. You can do that a couple times, but if all of your content's completely out of the blue and not related to what you're selling, 
it doesn't really work for most brands unless you're Duolingo, right? <laughs> um, I joke, but as long as it's related enough to the pain points that are related to the product or service you sell, spin. Exactly. And even if you start to go niche, like we're talking about college and men and women, maybe it's only for women or only for youth. Even inside of that, there's so many different life events and circumstances and different characteristics of those people. And even the way that those people are experiencing those things, how are the symptoms that your solution solves showing up in that person's life? You can create endless amounts of pieces of content. And then you can start to just pay attention to what's happening. Who is this resonating for? And then the comments can spur more pieces of content. We just need to pay attention and people are going to tell us exactly what we need to create. Yeah. And that's the exciting part. Like I love social. It can be super creative. You shouldn't run out of content. If you are running out of things to post, you haven't mined deep enough. You're not paying attention. You shouldn't run out. And at the same time, there is such a small percentage of your audience that is going to see each individual post. So you can literally say the same thing over and over again. And you can also repost things that have been posted before. Maybe you change the image. Maybe you change the video. Maybe you use the same content and just re-record it. Maybe you just repost the exact same thing. But at the same time, I'm sure everybody can think of an instance where you heard something and then when you heard it the next time, you were ready to hear it. I read Russell Brunson's dot-com secrets and Jesus, I'm drawing a blank on the other one right now, expert secrets, three years before it actually clicked and I started utilizing those concepts. The message needed to change. I was also in a different place and I was ready to hear and execute on that message. It wasn't that he needed to say it to me any different. It was just, I was now ready. So when you completely, now let's say you get bored of talking about that and now you start talking about something different, you could be jeopardizing your business because you weren't able to be consistent enough with your message. Not everybody is ready to buy right now. Your job is to stay top of mind, stay relevant, stay engaging. I think that boredom, business owners naturally, you're going to get bored of saying the same thing. And you're going to think, well, I said it before. I said it in this other thing. And they assume that people watch, read, pay attention to, like you said, it digest everything they've ever posted. And they think, well, I already said it once. I can't say it again. There's almost like this professional embarrassment about saying something again. And it's like your social isn't you. People aren't paying attention. It's not for you. It's for them. And it's being selfish going, I've said this, I'm bored. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> right. It's not for you. It's for them. What's in best service for the person receiving that message? There's always going to be someone that's ready for that message. But there, it goes further than that. Circumstances in the world can change. Artificial intelligence existed before ChatGPT came out. But now everybody's hearing about AI and ChatGPT because <laughs> ChatGPT came out and right. now it's on the news. You know, people worked from home before COVID hit, but just now the circumstances of the world made this way more relevant for everybody. These things aren't changing. It's the same stuff happening over and over and over again. But there's other things that play factors into when people are ready to receive these messages or act on it or purchase a product. And sometimes those things are completely out of our control. Oh, yeah. It's just our job to harness them, leverage them, positive or negative. Exactly. Pay attention remain consistent, look at what the data is telling you and use it to guide and, and drive the growth of your business. What about negatively, the drawbacks to not doing social? 
I think one of the drawbacks is it does take potentially a considerable amount of time and effort that isn't always going to directly give you an ROI on your investment, or it might not give you an ROI on your investment for six months or two years. And it's how long are you willing to invest into the growth of your business? Are you willing to be in it for the long term and not see that immediate gratification of making money, but you're trying to build an empire? You're trying to create this massive impact across the world. But if you look at somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, he's got 34 people that work on his content team. That is obviously an extreme example. But now look at what he has created. He can just like fall off the face of the earth and it's going to look like he's still present because there's so much content out there. So the drawbacks are, yeah, it's going to cost you time and money. And depending you should on- be doing this anyway. You should be doing social and like SEO and these long-term things anyway. This is good business and good marketing. So yeah, it might take six months. That doesn't mean you stop it at six months. Ideally, you should stop it before then. You just keep going. It will compound over time. I think people look to it like this quick thing, like paid ads. And yes, paid ads get you results now, but it should be the thought is paid ads gives us the runway to let organic and SEO and other stuff work their magic rather than SEO is optional and paid traffic is the only thing that's going to give us leverage. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not an either or thing. They work in synergy with one another. Like we need to be doing both. And wouldn't it be nice that if your ad account gets banned, your revenues aren't completely taken out. If TikTok gets banned and you were only running TikTok ads and now you're like, fuck, I don't know what to do. But you had this massive organic social media following across more platforms. You use that to grow your email list. You're building this relationship with your customers. You can now move to another platform. Like diversification is a good thing. It's no different than an investment portfolio. You don't want to just put 100% of your money in one stock or like one fund. Reliance on anything is never going to be a good thing. But you want to have diversification. You want to have more things pulling in your favor. And you're going to have less learnings. Everything is going to be a hypothesis driven by you or somebody on your team. And you're not going to be leveraging the insights and data of the community. And you're also not going to have the same authority in the eyes of your prospective customers. Like the extreme example, if I'm looking to buy a solution and I see and I go to their Facebook page and they haven't posted anything. This happens with a lot of advertisers. They just start a a Facebook page and they start running ads, but they have zero social presence. They look like a scammer. Exactly. They have zero authority. And so if I'm choosing between two people or two companies, and one has zero posts, and the other, I search them on Google, they've got 2,000 reviews of 4.7. They're active, they're posting every single day. They're obviously legitimate business. Exactly, they're more legitimate, they have more credibility. And that's an extreme example. However, if you just post once every six months, or you posted active, and then you haven't posted for the last two years, you just simply fall somewhere in the middle, but the concept and the premise is exactly the same you're going to likely be at risk of somebody that's willing to do it. And they may have an inferior product, but if they can build a better brand in the eyes of the community, they're probably going to sell more. They may get caught if like what they deliver is not good. However, people that build a really good brand can make a lot of money, even if the product isn't that good, because so much of it is generating attention. Right. Which goes even into like that user generated content. Once you have that community, now you're building that coveted 
you know, I love this thing and it's amazing and you should like it too. And they get all their friends and it really feeds on itself. A hundred percent. And I do think that it can be depending on your approach to business and marketing from like a philosophical level. If you have a grandiose vision of what you're trying to accomplish in the world, doing this may come a little bit easier it may be a little bit more difficult if you're just really focused on turning a profit because these aren't necessarily those immediate profit activities. So starting a Facebook page, running ads and making money sounds really cool. But in order to create a very big impact in the world, there's more that needs to be done. Well, so you can do it the hard way, or you can do it the easy way. It feels like the hard way at first to put that little bit of effort and time, or maybe a lot of effort and time, into building your Facebook page, building these social profiles, publishing and distributing content, building that community. But over a while, it does feed itself and it leads to less work and needing less investment elsewhere. Like I said, you can stop. If you automate stuff ahead of time, you can go on vacation for a month and stuff is still working. People are still finding it. The algorithms are still pushing out your content. Your marketing is still happening. Exactly, exactly. And that happens when you have a backlog of stuff that has been created. If you've consistently created a single podcast a week and it was a video podcast, like that alone can be disseminated to fuel an entire social media strategy. Literally by having a video podcast done weekly. Now you have a blog, you have a podcast, you have short form content, you have snippets. You, have, you got a broadcast out, email if you've you got a list. Out, exactly. You can pull out quotes, you can create carousels, like you have all of this content from like one 60 minute video podcast that you recorded. So like literally we could show up just like we are now once a week. And that's literally all you really need, depending on the size of the business. But if you're not doing that, then it becomes very difficult. Now, if we did this for six months... Now I have a backlog of stuff that I can pull from, I can reuse, I have things that I can start to derive insights from to fuel what I'm creating. And then I could I can take three months off if I want to without having to worry as much. Yep. And people are getting pre-sold as they're working their way through your content and learning your worldview and trusting you, learning to get to know you. So oh, this is a legit person or they have a legit product. Oh, there's a story behind. Like we were eating Bob's Red Milk products the other day and my husband's joking he was like oh i bet he's a nazi <laughs> so we looked it up and this guy is like kudos to bob of bob's red mill he had this amazing story of like he was gonna buy a plane but his warehouse burned down his mill burned down so we like used his savings to ensure his workers were covered like i mean this guy's like a freaking grain saint and i'm like okay now we have to keep buying <laughs> bob's red mill <laughs> But it's that kind of stuff where it's like, if you're only pushing out ads or you're only pushing out buy my stuff, that's just simple loyalty. It was just a simple story. And now we're hooked. Okay, we're going to buy this stuff more because this guy's awesome and the products are awesome. Exactly. But you needed to know about them first. There's small subconscious triggers that a lot of people don't register. Somebody's in a lab coat. We give authority to that person. We will listen to that person without even knowing that they're a doctor. Like they literally could just be wearing a white lab coat. They've done studies on this. There's a reason why somebody who is a published author has more credibility than somebody who maybe is just a podcaster, because we establish more credibility and authority to somebody who's written a physical book. In this day and age, it's really not that actually hard to write and self-publish a book. Followers on social media, 
being present on social media, showing your face, those things are authority and credibility hacks that are unconsciously persuading people to start to follow you compared to somebody who isn't. So if you're looking at two businesses and one has 12 followers on Instagram and one has 1.2 million, who are you naturally going to assign more authority to? Absolutely. Right. You're going to trust more. It's the same reason why they do courses. Why do copywriters write courses? Because one, to get your attention. It's easy money. But two, you can say, look at all my students and they've earned millions. Well, hire me. I taught them. Pay me. You know, and they usually have really high fees. But now they can justify because they can say, look. If my course has got these students' results, imagine what hiring me will do. It's a glorified sales tool. Exactly, exactly. And we as marketers understand it. We still fall victim to it all the time. Oh, yeah. Right? (laughs) Even more so. Right? Like if I'm on Amazon, I'm buying the one that's got more reviews, even though I know that 75% of them are probably fake. If I'm looking at following people, I'm drawn more towards the person that's got more followers because I'm assigning more authority to them, even though I know that you can buy followers. So even as a marketer, it affects me. And the general population likely doesn't know. It's just all unconscious. And then that all happens from organic social media, which is building brand. Exactly. The statement you have, this has allowed me to generate leads to cold traffic in competitive markets for less than a dollar. I've taken this in practice for myself, where I put out content on TikTok, and I had one post that got over 200,000 views. The post was in a competitive market, like inside of the marketing and AI niche, which is incredibly competitive. But this post for me, way over indexed. Most things are getting 200, 300, 500 views. One gets 200,000. From that, what did I do? I looked at those insights. I started to create more content around that. I created a lead magnet around that, created content around that lead magnet, which also over indexed. I turned that content into ads to download that lead magnet. And then I was generating leads for under a dollar to cold traffic utilizing that. So that's all based 100% off of organic social media and leveraging those insights that were gathered, leveraging what the algorithm was pushing, amplifying that with paid advertising and generating leads substantially cheaper than if I were to go create a product that I wanted, go to the market with it, create a message that I think is gonna resonate with people based on what I think people want, and then see what the results are. You know, typically I find most businesses in like that $5 range. If I can get leads for under five bucks, I'm super happy. For myself and clients that I've worked with, being able to get leads for under a dollar, being able to get leads for $3 where other people are eight to 12, there's so much insights that can be driven by a consistent and successful organic social media strategy that most businesses are just missing out on. Amazing. Dark Landon has spoken. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.